Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I'm very excited today to welcome our guest, Ronnie Lavovsky. Uh, Ronnie and I are Instagram friends turned real friends. We uh, had dinner a couple years back in Chicago, and, and I look forward to seeing him again soon uh, when I get an opportunity. He graduated in 2018 uh, with his PhD in art history and visual culture from York University. He had a focus in medieval Spanish architecture. We talk about it in the podcast here today where he was bound for a life in, Mac, in, macadamia, in academia and was looking to become a full-time professor when he ended up launching a food blog, uh, which was a long-time uh, goal of his, a long-time dream, not necessarily the food blog, but to cook professionally and, and to feed his family through feeding others. And he's been able to do that with his Instagram handle at primal underscore gourmet. He has now launched uh, most recently, which we'll get into and promote today, the Primal Gourmet Cookbook, which Lexi and I have in our home. We love it uh, and use it. Honestly, anytime we have a, a big date or, or something that we're really excited about, it's a big night in our home where we're, when we have the privilege to uh, borrow from Ronnie's genius. So I'm super excited for our guest today. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. Let's do this. Dr. Ronnie Lavovsky, Primal Gourmet. I promised Colin I'd call you doctor uh, after the intro. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm really excited about this one um, just because we've had dinner once. We were Instagram friends. That, you know, so many good things that my wife, uh, Lexi, has gifted me. One of them was following your Instagram page and then eventually becoming uh, fast friends, you know, when we started, I don't know, trade recipes and she did a whole 30. I can't even remember when, but You've been a great influence on our, uh, our love of food. We're both foodies and, and it's a big night in our home when we're cooking one of your recipes. So I'm, I'm super excited to have you. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure to be on. Um, all praise to Lexi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, and I appreciate, you know, uh, Catalina and, and Sophia letting me borrow you for the hour for the evening. I'm sure uh, usually you're on uh, dinner duty around this time, but uh, I, I am well aware of yours and Catalina's differences in, in food preferences. So you're always, you're always a, a good vote of like, Hey, appreciate what you have in Lexi, you know, having an affinity for, for cooking because she's, uh, she's no joke. She can throw it out. Oh yeah. I know. I, I watch it all the time and I know she can, she's fantastic in the kitchen. Yeah, Catalina's she's getting, she's getting there. Cat, getting the, there. She's, yeah, the, she's I, learning. The irony of it is, is my daughter Sophia is what she's 20 months now and she likes my my wife's cooking you know a bajillion times more than my cooking and Catalina is you know she's not I love huh. her to death not the greatest cook um but we'll edit know. that part out or we'll keep it and say oh, that we're well, gonna edit it no, out but keep it absolutely <laughs> keep it Keep it. That's the truth. And she, Sophia, gobbles up her food. Mine, uh, it's hit or miss. I think I get a little too like creative with the with the spices and whatnot. And I think Sophia just wants to keep it real simple. But I'm learning. It's a it's a big blow to the ego, but I'm learning. Yeah, no kidding. I I don't know. I don't know how I'd let that fly. I think. Uh, I mean, the customer is always right. You, you know, don't get a choice. You don't get a choice with <laughs> these twenty months. They're not super re easy to reason with. Yeah. God bless you, man. Um, Ronnie, I, uh, I know you well enough, you know, about what you're doing now. And I'm super excited. Um, you know, Lexi and I are, are 
copy of the Primal Gourmet Cookbook just came in the mail. We're super excited to uh, to dive into it. Um, but how did we get here? Like, what has been your physical, mental um, development alongside your career path to get to this point? Because I don't know a ton about your origin story, and I'm I'm super curious. Oh man, I mean, how far back do we have to go? I mean, as, we as gotta, far as you want to chew on, we gotta go. I mean, if we're really going back, this, you know, this trajectory wouldn't have been possible for me if I didn't go through all the ups and downs of trying to figure out what health even looked like for me um, and struggling with what unhealthy looked like for me for the better part of my entire life. I mean, we're talking from as long as I can remember. My first memories as a kid are ones of being um, overweight, uh, very self-conscious, very uncomfortable in my own skin, and constantly trying to live up to um, some expectation of myself that was probably handed to me by my older brother, who was just a phenom, an absolute like you know natural-born athlete uh, who effortlessly always was athletic and competitive and uh, in fantastic physical shape and could eat everything under the you know, everything under the sun and lose weight somehow. And here I was uh, trying to sort of, you know, follow in his footsteps. And, you know, if, as a kid, you eat what your siblings eat. You know, your mom's yeah. not going to cook yeah. anything special for you. Um, yeah, you're not telling mom your macros at like age nine. That's right. <laughs> you know? uh, and so we ate the same thing. And I, I ballooned and he just kept in line. Um, and that, I guess that kind of threw me for a loop as well in terms of, the fact that I felt maybe a different sense of myself in, uh, in terms of, well, if my brother can eat this stuff, maybe I can eat this stuff too, but I'm having a very difficult, uh, different, very different physical reaction to it. Um, and this really was like my entire life, like my entire childhood and, and adolescence and early adulthood as well, was trying to figure out how to get in some sort of physical shape that I didn't I wasn't already in, so I was an overweight kid, um, and I always tried to be in better shape, and I would diet, and then I would uh, maybe sometimes lose a couple pounds, and realize very quickly once I had lost the pounds, whatever I was doing wasn't sustainable. Uh, there was no way I could keep doing this for an extended period of time, let alone the rest of my life. And I would go back to this feeling of, Oh, well, you know, you gave it a good, you, you had a good run for your money, but, you know, it's time to go back to your old self, Ronnie, and yeah. uh, take, take uh, you know, uh, I guess, get comfortable in the fact that this is your reality, that you're not going to change your physical shape. And as a result of that, my mental shape didn't change either. Um, so it was very much one step forward, two steps back. I was never able to really get on a good footing for long enough to continue down a, a healthy path. Um, and so I ended up, you know, trying every diet in the book. I failed each of them twice, which is what I always say. <laughs> and, um, and it was just really discouraging. Like it was, it was super discouraging and I would just fall back into really bad habits and a very negative feedback loop. And then to put a very long story, a little bit shorter, um, on the night of my 27th birthday, after, you know, X amount of years of trying to hit a number on a scale. Uh, by a certain day, you know, how most people and I myself included, I don't want to say most people, I'll talk about only by myself, but when I was trying to lose weight, 
and get healthy to, you know, whatever that meant for me, it was, okay, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds by Y days. That's my goal. Okay. That's, I'm going to lose 30 pounds by September. And it was like, I don't know. It was August. I don't know. <laughs> it was like yeah, some yeah, yeah. arbitrary number that was just impossible. Like it was just, and it didn't even make any sense because whatever number I was throwing on the scale or in my mind, whatever number I wanted to hit on the scale, there was no, there's no way I could know what that number would be if I did get healthy. Maybe I would, I would gain so much muscle mass that I would go above that weight and still look fantastic. So it was always arbitrary. Um, and, uh, that didn't work for me. So I, on the night of my 27th birthday, uh, I wrote down 10 resolutions that had nothing to do with weight. I figured the way I'm going about this was completely wrong. Uh, and I started thinking about the way I was performing in school, actually, the way this sort of this paradigm shift came for me was the, the fact that as a, as a kid, I was a terrible student. I was a horrible student. Um, and I would always focus on the grade. I would just focus on, okay, I got to get an A because that's what my parents want. That's what everybody expects of me. And I would never get an A because all I would be focused on was the grade and I would hate the subject. I would hate learning. In college, I f uh, fell into a program kind of that was, uh, that would pique my interest. It was a humanities program and I excelled at it because I was very interested in the subject matter and I wasn't focused on the grade anymore. I didn't care about the grades because to me, I was just doing, I went to college just to, you know, because I had uh, 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 what's called in Canada, an RESP, a registered education savings plan that my parents had saved up for me since I was born. And they said, if you don't go to school, you're going to lose this money. So you better go to school. I said, ah, what the heck? All right, yeah, why not? Fine, whatever. It's no skin off my teeth. In two years, I'll be done. And I'll be back to working in a factory the way I was before I went to school. And uh, I really, it was like a complete ch game changer because I started doing really well in school. I wasn't focusing on the, the grade. I was just focusing on learning the material because I really enjoyed it. And so what if I change this perspective? What if I shift the perspective from being one of uh, a terminating point to one of a journey, one of the process. And once I started thinking about the process and how I could go about maybe uh, looking at things differently as opposed to just looking at the final number on the scale, that's when the, the real shift came. Uh, and that's what I think put me on a really good path to where I am now, um, which is a much better shape. I'm still a, a you know, everyday work in progress kind of guy. Uh, I, I'm constantly trying to uh, figure things out day by day, but this is really what transitioned my approach. And it was one from where I would make that number on the scale resolution to one of 10 qualitative resolutions. I don't know why I picked 10. I just picked 10. I was probably still drunk from the <laughs> night out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just saying, well, 10 is a good number. I guess I could go with 10, but 10 the resolutions is, yeah. were so unbelievably just basic, like things I, that I knew I could achieve, like talk less, listen more. You know, I had a, I had a, a big tendency of talking a lot, as I've just explained to you for the past 12 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> we'll worry um, about that one later. We'll, I'll, 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 I'll promise I'll, I'll come up with something interesting after you're done. Colin, like I said, I'm still a work in progress. Day to day. <laughs> Connor, Connor, I'm sorry, Colin. Um, and uh, the other one was just breathe. One was embrace all emotions because what would happen if eventually was I would get to a point where I would be so upset with myself and disappointed in myself that I would eat my feelings. Um, and instead of eating my feelings, I'd say, okay, 
embrace your emotions. Well, how are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? It's okay to feel this way. You don't gotta go and binge. It's not gonna do anything for you. Um, so these, these 10 qualitative resolutions are what changed really my life. And then from there, I was hitting strides. I started exercising and just you know playing sports that I liked, like pick up basketball. I would ride my bike. I would uh, go for a jog. I, I found CrossFit eventually, which I really liked. Um, and, uh, and that generated a, a positive feedback loop for me. So I got out of the negative feedback loop where I would uh, force myself to restrict calories and count macros and, and, and eat things that were without seasoning or sauces, that sort of thing, which were like for me as a, somebody who loves to eat um, and lives to eat, that's a, the worst reality, worst possible form of reality. Excruciating, yeah. Yeah, absolutely terrible way to live for me personally. I couldn't do it. Um, and so I just, I stopped doing that. And essentially what happened was I hit a plateau. I was making strides. I was losing weight. I was keeping healthy. I gave up booze for a little bit of, a little bit of time. Um, and I hit a plateau and a friend of mine said, oh, you should try paleo. And he was doing it um, because a friend of his had told him about it. And I said, what the heck is paleo? I don't know what the hell paleo is. And so he invited my brother and I over for lunch. He made us really basic meals, just sweet potatoes, chicken thighs, and some sort of, I think it was like uh, vegetables or salad. I can't even remember at this point. And I ate it. It was fine. It tasted okay. It wasn't the best meal in my life, but it tasted fine. I was very full. I felt really satiated and I didn't feel tired. That was the biggest mind trip for me. Because whenever I used to eat to the point of being satiated, I would immediately go into like this food coma and really mm. get really tired. And I felt amazing. Like we went to work out after. Like that's how great I felt. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, what is this? He's like, this is paleo. It's just like meat, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds. It comes in a bag or a box. Probably shouldn't eat it. And I said, okay, I'm going to try it. And like a couple months later, almost effortlessly to the point where I wasn't doing anything extra or specific aside from just eating within that realm, my body changed dramatically. I got in the best physical shape of my life. I figured out that I could take control of what I ate. I wasn't victim or um, maybe, I guess, um, I wasn't a, a hostage to myself in terms of my eating habits. And uh, I just kept cooking that way, eating that way. I felt great. Uh, I, I gained confidence, like I said, I gained confidence in terms of uh, being able to take ownership of my choices. Uh, and that was really empowering. And that's really what, where the confidence come, uh, came in for me was it wasn't necessarily being confident in the way I looked, although I really was. Like I was wearing, you know, I was able to walk around without a shirt for the first time in my entire life, you know, comfortably. I felt as though I was finally in the skin that I wanted to be in or I thought I could be in. Um, but more so the confidence was, okay, I got this. Like, I, I can control it. It's not the other way around. The food doesn't control me, I control the food. And that just led to cooking more, eating more within paleo. And then a friend of mine said, you should start a blog because people keep asking me for recipes because I was sharing it on just my you know, personal Instagram. Um, and my friends would be like, hey, that looked really good. Well, how'd you make that? because they saw the physical changes in myself as well. Um, and I would tell them, and sometimes I would call them over the phone and explain a recipe to them step by step, 
it would get to like a 30 to 60 minute conversation <laughs> oh, wow. where I'm telling him, okay, so put in the sweet potatoes now. And, you know, and my friend said, you should start a blog. I said, what the hell is a blog? I don't know what a blog is. And he built one for me and I was just sharing recipes and it grew organically. Just, you know, the platform and the community grew as a result of just focusing on the process, not the end result. Uh, and then to the point where uh, it turned into a book deal and now I have a cookbook and, you know, the, the community is still a, the supporting factor of that. And the book wouldn't have been possible with the community without the community. So the, 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 all of the people on Instagram, social media, the people that read the blog, that's really everything that supported the entire trajectory of this, you know, primal gourmet path or outlet. Yeah, I mean, I, I relate to a lot of that just in terms of, gosh, how closely related the physical and mental health is. You know, when I'm eating well, sleeping well, how much more vibrant I am, you know, particularly I've always been in tune with my body and I guess my energy and focus levels being an athlete, like you're just tested often. So it's, if I'm ever groggy for an extended period of time, like, you know, a, a poor game or two or three in a row kind of shake you. Um, eating feelings is something for sure I've done. Like I've, I wouldn't say I've necessarily struggled with, uh, body like composition issues. I think most for, you know, all of my life, you know, uh, uh, another person on the street might point to me and say, you know, that guy looks athletic. Um, but like quietly, I've always wanted to be, I'm, I'm thick. I'm a, I'm a thicker guy, right? Like people ask me, how do you get those legs? I'm like, well, I just do the same amount of squats. As everybody else, they just grow faster. Like, right. Like your brother where I just develop tissue there uh, more quickly, but I always wanted to be like this long, uh, winding, like smooth skating, Swedish D man, where, you know, at five, nine and three quarters, five, 10, 200 pounds. Like that's not what I am. And honestly, even earlier in my career, I would go through, um, some like scale oriented fits of eating where I would jump on the scale in the morning and all of a sudden I'd be like 198 instead of 196. And I would be like, I'm going to skip breakfast before practice today because, you know, I'm, I'm clearly uh, in a caloric surplus and I need to bring it back down. It was just, it wasn't really supporting what was important. Like no one was paying me to be a very poor bodybuilder. Like what I actually looked like was irrelevant. They cared about my energy level on the ice. Um, you know, so that's why I thought, you know, with on my platform, I wouldn't necessarily say like, I'm not a professionally trained chef. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a functional medicine doctor, but like what I do know is along this path of we all eat, I live to eat. Like I love eating, you know, like yourself, like I would definitely identify as a foodie. Um, I know that these habits have been so I've taken such great strides in such small fashions. Like if you were to tell me seven years ago, you're going to have a salad for lunch. It was a, it was a bad day. I was, that was upsetting. And now I look forward to that type of nutrition, you know, like now it's a totally different mind shift, but I look at that kid seven years ago and I, I don't even know who he is, how he'd eat. Like I, it was, it's been, a, it happens one, one habit at a time. The thing, the other thing is, we're not too far apart in terms of age. So yeah. when, when we were coming up, you know, when we were younger, health food isn't the same as it, it wasn't the same as it is now. What's considered health food back then was 
I mean, I have vivid memories of my mother telling me we're going to the health food store and it would smell just like a vitamin cabinet, like a medicine cabinet. Yeah. It just had this reek of like echinacea and herbs and that is in like kind of different lotions and potions. Now I go to the health food store and I see things like sweet potato chips and like, you know, I see packaged foods that I genuinely crave, you know, it's, it's a really different shift. And also healthy food is trendy. That's the other really strange thing. I think there's a subculture of, of health enthusiasts, people that want to, you know, want to take care of their bodies and it's not something that's shunned. You know, it's, there's a, a different kind of atmosphere in the health food world. And the fact that there are so many new products that are developing totally every agree. single day is proof of that. The fact that they're there's trying so to much money. There's so much money in the game now and so much attention. I remember one of the big things that I thought clicked was I was watching a TV the one day and all of a sudden a beer ad was like disclosing the ingredients that was in the beer. And I'm like, what world are we living in now that, you know, Bud Light or whomever is, you know, thinks they owe it to their customer to disclose what's actually in the product. And it, it's, it's because of the curiosity of the consumer, it's of, of the customer. And it's been, I know for me, like I, the more the merrier, the more people that care about, you know, uh, honesty and integrity and in what's in the package, you know, or, or what's in the, the particular food, you know, these brands will have to respect it and, and honor who, where the money's coming from. And, you know, so I, that's what I tell people, you know, that are maybe new on their health journey, friends, family that reach out. I'm like, guys, healthy food's delicious. Like, there's a lot of like wealth coming in this game. There's a lot of development, like all the food research that went into like, how does the McDonald's cheeseburger taste so good? Like it's so cheap is moving into, you know, the health world. Yeah, there's a, it's a, it's a huge shift and it's, it's very exciting because it's, it's one that I, I hope will encourage more people to maybe select certain foods when they're going out to shop. But at the same time, it needs to come down in price for it to, be, to. For it to be accessible enough to make any kind of real difference to people that actually need that kind of change. Um, and, and that's really where we're, I feel like where we're sort of hanging in the balance right now is it's really, it's really trendy and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cool and there's some great foods coming out and some great products, but it's still to the point where it's an exclusive group that can eat like this, especially in a, in an, um, uh, a convenient packaged way. So to, to buy things that are already prepackaged, uh, convenience foods like um, ready-made meals or uh, even something like a, you know, a, a, a meal delivery service, which focuses on you know, creating foods that are or creating meals that are catered to a specific lifestyle, for example, whether it's paleo, whether it's keto, whether it's uh, Whole30 or whatnot, um, that meal delivery service is very much catered to people who are young professionals who can you know, afford to buy healthy food at a premium, premium, premium cost um, and don't have the time to necessarily make it on their own or the know-how to necessarily make it on their own. Um, I think we need to get to a point where we have such a high volume that we can reduce the prices and then make it accessible to communities that actually need that kind of health initiative and health accessibility more than any, anybody, right? That's the, I mean, that's yeah, where I, I would like to see things going personally, but I think we're, I think we're a far way away from there. I mean, the fact that a salad costs 
15 bucks on a menu and a cheeseburger costs 99 cents is a, you know, it's a, that's a, a, a big gap. Huge. In terms of I, I think the and, same and thing, you know, it's for now, it's just Lexi and I, uh, and we feed Hoagie pretty good. Like the, you know, whatever paleo brand that he's on. And I know he's grain free, gluten free, yada, yada. Lexi uh, takes care of his food, but I, I just see my food bill every month and I'm like, you know, gosh, we're to have a, a kid or two or three and, and what are you going to do? I'm going to feed myself what I know is right for my body and not my child. Like there's no way. And so, you know, I, I definitely have felt that and, and hopefully it does. And is that something that, you know, I know uh, Melissa Urban is, is championing that as well. Who's, you know, kind of the um, creator and proprietor of the whole 30 and which is very influential in your community. Um, What's next for Primal Gourmet? You've got the cookbook now. What was that process like? And what are you kind of dreaming up to continue to grow both your personal brand and to continue to influence people for good? Because I do think you come across in such a passionate way. You, you, it's so clear your deep love for food, your deep love for cooking, your deep love for nourishment. Um, my father-in-law is a chef and the same things like he, there, there's such deep joy that he has when he is feeding you something that he has labored over, uh, that he knows you'll love. And that comes through, you know, it's not always social media gets a bad rap, but you know, you are very warm on your channel and, and you do come across in such a approachable fashion. You don't make food, you know, some big fancy ordeal. You, you, you cook very simply, you go very step by step. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy that you've got the cookbook now. Cause I know we talked beforehand that this was a goal of yours, but what's, you know, where are you dreaming of going next? Yeah. I mean, the book, the book was definitely, it was definitely a big, uh, a big ticket item for me, a, a sort of bucket list item. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's the same as maybe my childhood dreams to begin with, like uh, exactly. But I, for me, Food has always been, and cooking in, in specifically, cooking is specifically, uh, has been a, ch a childhood passion and, and dream of mine. I, I remember vividly as a kid, my friends, we would talk about what we want to be when we grow up. And my friends would be like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a businessman. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be a lawyer, an accountant. I'm going to be a superhero or a firefighter. And all I wanted to do was cook. I just really want, I just wanted to cook. Like I always loved cooking. I didn't know what that meant, if it was going to be like a chef, but I was always really inspired by uh, chefs on TV, like Jamie Oliver. And I would watch these guys and, and, and female chefs as well, just cook effortlessly in front of a camera. And it would always come out perfect. Like, it, you know, it's so fantastic. And I would stand in my parents' kitchen and I would pretend as though you know, when nobody's looking, I would I look around and I would sort of talk to myself almost as, as if somebody is like there with me and I'm explaining the recipe to them. Um, and so I've always had this, this idea in my mind. It was quickly put to bed by my parents, mind you. My parents wanted <laughs> yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing to do with this. They saw, you know, you cook as a hobby. This is not like you cook to feed yourself and your family. This is not a career by, you know, no stretch of the imagination. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to go to school, and that you know, I I, I really showed them. I mean, I I became, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I did become a doctor, not not of medicine. I went and I did my PhD, um, but in art history, Let's art not and architectural get caught up history. In the details, right? Like, yeah. come on. Well, I mean, it, it was so bad to the point where my parents, even 
I was going to defend my PhD. It was like the month of my PhD defense. My parents still didn't know what I was doing. They were still wouldn't be able to explain it to their friends. I would get a call from my mother saying, Ronnie, can you explain to my friend what it is you do exactly? Like what, what are you studying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's gold. But I guess the, the book is very much an incarnation of, of lifelong passion. Um, and it's a strange thing because the way that we consume food and recipes has changed so dramatically uh, in the past, I could even say, let's say 10 years at that. I think that would even be like pushing the limits of how long blogs have been, or maybe 15 years, something like that, maybe 20. Um, and people no longer really require a culinary education to go to cooking school. You can do everything on YouTube. You can take courses with you know, world-class chefs um, with something like masterclass. Uh, and you're basically going to culinary school from your house. So uh, even though the, the way we've consumed food and recipes and, and access to recipes has completely changed, I still thought a book was a very natural step in the right direction for me because it's something that people I have been asking me to do on, on one hand is they want something that they can hold in their hands and physically uh, look through. And I love that idea because it, when somebody is buying the book, they're essentially bringing me to their house. They're inviting yeah. me into their home. You live there that, now, yeah. And that's an extremely humbling and um, overwhelmingly gracious experience and gracious act of kindness, in my opinion, to for somebody to bring you into their house and ask you to share your recipes with them. That's There's no greater level of engagement than that as, as somebody who's a, you know, a recipe developer and a food blogger. Um, so the book was definitely something I wanted to do. It was never something that I did up until this point because I knew that if I was going to do a book, it had to be at a point of commitment and a, a level of commitment that I dedicated 150% to. If I was doing the book, I would only be doing the book. I wouldn't be doing any other, anything else. And when I started blogging, I was doing my, I was still in grad school. I was completing my PhD and I was, I was approached to do different book um, proposals. And I had a couple offers that were never to the point or never the right fit where they would say something like, we want you to develop a, you know, a, a keto cookbook with a hundred recipes in three months. I said, forget about it. I don't, I don't exclusively cook keto. To develop 100 recipes in three months is a crazy, a crazy target to hit, uh, especially because it's not sustainable for me because I'd be throwing out a lot of that food because I don't necessarily plan on eating that way. And it's not mm -hmm. authentic to me. It's not, that's not my culinary voice. I can't do it just arbitrarily to get, you know, cash a paycheck. And plus I was still doing my PhD. And then it got to the point where the timing just was right, where I had finished my PhD. I was working part-time as a professor at several different colleges. So I was teaching at, in Toronto, I was teaching at Seneca, I was teaching at University of Guelph, different campuses at Seneca. So I was, I was all over the place. And I got an email from my agent, my literary agent, and she approached me cold called and said, hey, would you like to do a book? I have an idea where we could really focus on what you want to write about. You have full authority over the, the creative concepts, 
the recipe input, everything like that. Uh, and we can line it up with a really great publisher that's really going to support you and your, and your idea. And I said, let's do it. I said, I'm at a point where I, I, I enjoy teaching. Uh, I love it. But the academic market was one where, and it's, you know, now it, I don't think it's changed. The academic market was not supporting a full-time career for me. Mm. Um, and it was, a, I had a daughter who was going to be born in four, three to four months. And I, yeah, that really lit a fire under my ass. And I said, it's time to really like make some moves and figure out like what is next for you in terms of not just a passion, but a career where you can support your family. And the book was that, that move. And it just coincided with the timing being right and such that I was teaching part-time. I didn't land a full-time career yet. Uh, and I could take on that project and really throw myself into it. And I, th I threw myself into this book. Like I, well, it came out wonderfully. We, we have it at much. home now and, and, and we do cherish it. Like it's, it's on display. It's, it's, it's a part of our, of our Carrick household now. Thank you. I, it doesn't, even when it's, even when it's coming from a friend, it's still surreal for me to hear it. And it's incredibly kind and I appreciate it greatly. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's how essentially the book came out. I don't know if that answers the question, but it does. the book was just something that was an extension of the blog and I wouldn't have been able to write it if I didn't have the, the support of my community. I had such an incredible, I still have such an incredibly supportive community. I'm it's so unbelievably grateful for. And like you mentioned, you know, there's, you kind of touched on it. Like social media can be a, a, a scary thing, you know, a, yeah, a weird be. place. Um, but it's also an incredibly supportive platform if you find your tribe. That's really the, the ticket. And I was lucky enough to find my tribe and they supported me. And without, without that, I wouldn't have gotten the, the kind of book deal that I would be able to get um, to support myself and my family, to be able to throw everything off and say, I'm only going to focus on this book for, it, it's a two year process, like the start to finish yeah, from, from proposal to publication, it's two years. Um, it could be rushed. It could go quicker, but um, there's other factors at play that always throw things for a loop. Um, I was lucky enough to have it in print before COVID really sunk its teeth into, into things. Um, so it was already pretty much off, off to the printers. Um, but if it was any bit later, it could have been postponed and delayed probably for a month, two months, six months, maybe a year, who knows? Um, yes, but I guess that answers the book portion. What's next? I don't know. Honestly, I, I've, I've never been really good at charting a trajectory and I'm the kind of guy that never counts as chickens before they hatch. I don't like to, I'm, I'm an incredibly superstitious person. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an athlete. Me too, Ronnie. I say every yeah. year is the, I'm not being superstitious this year. This is my routine. This is oh, what man. I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I'm wearing flip-flops in December because I had a good game, <laughs> you know, six weeks ago, you know, I'm so unbelievably superstitious. I think it comes from my parents. It has to come from my parents. Um, and I don't like to, you know, jinx things. So I have ideas of what I'd like to do. They're not done yet. And even with the book, I mean, I didn't, we didn't announce the book until it was at the printers, basically. Um, we kept it hush hush. 
partly because of for publisher decided this is the best way to approach it but also me i didn't want to you know the ink didn't dry yet i'm not going to start like being yeah, like hey i got a book deal and then you know a week later it's like uh oh, it got scrapped you know or for whatever reason well i think that's i think that's fitting and i think it it kind of goes along with how you operate in terms of the the end result focusing on that is really sometimes daunting for certain people and and it can be a great struggle when you know we hear about it all the time in hockey where it's a results oriented business and that kind of thing. And you know, the, the best hockey I've ever played, the most fun I've ever had in the game, the most engaged I've ever been in terms of my own development was when I was always enveloped in the process. I, I had great perspective. It was always a conversation around like, yes, I'm doing, I'm training this way so that I can perform tomorrow. Sure. What I'm really after is the marginal gains for what I'll look like in five years, in 10 years. Um, and that's honestly where, you know, very similarly, I've had periods in my life where I am very results driven and, it, and it's dry. It, it's it, if you're successful, it, it feels fleeting. If you fail, it, it really stend, tends to stink and, and ooze into every area of your life, even though you know, other areas are maybe going better or my, my practice and things like that might be going well. I just happen to make one bad play at the wrong time of the game. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard way to live being so end focused end game. Cause, cause I mean, I can't imagine when you started the blog that you thought, you know, I want to have, you know, 210,000 followers someday. And I want to feed my family with, you know, a book deal and being able to, you know, help people feed their own family at home. I can't imagine like that was really your true intention, you know, upon starting, but you did. Oh, it was. No, my intention was to be just famous. Filthy rich and famous. <laughs> All right, it came out. There you go. I broke you. <laughs> no, I mean. You held character pretty, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't think anybody that really, you know, starts a, a food blog expects it to grow. It's just, it's, there's so many. It's such a saturated, the, the internet in general is so unbelievably yeah. saturated that you really don't, you start and you're just kind of like, it's like a, a crapshoot, you know? You just sort of, you roll the dice and you, you see what happens. Mm -hmm. Most people give up. But one thing that I kept realizing is the people that were successful, the bloggers that were successful, that I saw were successful, were the ones that didn't give up. They're the ones that just kept pushing, the ones that kept focusing on content, you know, continuing to push content, deliver recipes, be consistent. And, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, like it, it's not. It's anyone can be successful in this because the, the systems and the platforms are in place to encourage success if you focus on the process, not the end result. And a lot of people, I think when they start a blog, they focus too much on, um, it's, it, we'll talk about Instagram because Instagram is such a huge proponent and uh, outlet for delivering and updating blog content for a lot of food bloggers. Although for s some of the most successful food bloggers, um, Instagram is not even, it's not even remotely necessary. They have such mm -hmm. unbelievable SEO on, in Google search rankings that they don't even need Instagram. But for me, I just liked Instagram. So I always kept Instagram. I like that platform. Um, but I've spoken to some, some people who are starting out uh, and I've, I'm, I'm very grateful and fortunate enough to be in a position where people are asking me, how did I do it? Um, which is really crazy to me. Um, but one of the things they ask is how do, I, 
How do I get followers on Instagram? And that's the first question. That's not the question to be asking. The question is, what, what do you want to provide? What value do you have to add? What's your story? How do you see yourself resonating in other people's lives? And if you can figure out those questions, that's how you grow, I think. Um, and I've seen it in people that are really at uh, a, a really peak position in their careers because I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff. I, I like to geek out on how some of my some of my colleagues and my friends have been growing and some have been growing so unbelievably well and I'm so incredibly happy that to watch them grow and they've done it through this this metric of content being king and focusing on things that they can add value to um, or add, add their value to rather than just trying to grow just a, a number again it's this arbitrary number because even if you get a you know a sizable community what does that mean you know I've, I've said it since day one being famous on Instagram is like being rich in monopoly money it means nothing yeah. unless you actually have something that you're doing with that size of community where you're impacting people's lives and you can make a difference or you can you know facilitate something that they want and provide that for them then what the heck is the point what's so what you know similar similar to the number on the scale no that's exactly right if you don't feel good if you're not sleeping good that's exactly right the metric that arbitrary number has nothing to do with the quality it zero and i've seen people who have humongous numbers on instagram and they're i don't know what they're doing like they're you know it's the quality and the impact that they have is just not something that gravitates. It's not something that uh, people can relate to necessarily. And I've seen that other side of the trajectory of, you know, friends and colleagues that we started off at the same time and their numbers really grew really high, but they're, they're burning out in terms of other things. And that's not the way I want to operate my, my platform and my business. That's never been my concern. My concern has always been to, provide value and really help people um, by sharing my story. Not necessarily telling people what to do. I don't like doing that. I don't like being a paleo evangelist or a Whole30 evangelist. I did that when I first started. When I first found paleo, I was very annoying. I was super annoying and everybody hated me. And I, I, I get it. Like I that's was, how I am. You know, as soon as like, I learn something, I just get the megaphone and be like, did you know this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much in the same, same way that, but my, for me, the, the, the turning point again, there's another turning point was I did a, a January whole 30. I didn't tell my wife to do it. And I didn't force her and say, I can't do this unless you do it too, because you're going to have sugar and, and I can't watch you do it. I just said, babe, I'm going to, I've been doing a January Whole30, I'm starting tomorrow. If you want to join, you know, I'm going to be cooking this stuff anyways, just let me know. And by like day 10 or something, she's like, oh, you're feeling pretty good. You're looking pretty good. You're, you're pretty happy. I don't know why you, how you, why you so happy. I said, I just feel great. I don't know. I'm just doing the Whole30. It's making, it's vibing with me. I'm feeling good. The tiger blood, right? Is that the terminology? Do I got that right? Yeah, (laughs) because Lexi's done a couple. I've honestly... I've honestly never done one. And I, I, I share that sentiment a little bit where, you know, I, I'm like healthy enough, you know, like where, you know, I'm, I'm fit enough and I feel like I have my own, you know, rules and regulations and habits that I operate by, but she's, she's done a couple of them and 
very similar where she's always felt and slept phenomenally where it's, it's piqued my interest. I feel like I would need to do it during an off season. Cause there's particular times where, you know, rice like in season and, and different things that are kind of, you know, not, not don't fit within the whole 30 frameworks, um, you know, might be needed, but yeah, she's, she's done a couple of them. Yeah. And it, it's encouraging when you see someone that's feeling great. That's what people gravitate towards, right? That's, yeah. that's what's really going to pull people in and if, you, if somebody wants to make a change, they'll make a change. They just gotta want it bad enough. If they don't wanna make a change, you forcing them to do it does nothing. I mean, they'll just resent you for it and they'll resent themselves for it. And that's gonna lead back to that negative feedback loop where they're just like, oh, what the hell am I doing this for? Look, I haven't even lost a pound, right? Oh, what the heck, well, I wasted so much time. I could have been enjoying my life and having a, you know, having a six pack of beer and a cheeseburger and a pizza and doing everything else I like. And if that's the way they want to, you know, approach it, then by all means, maybe, maybe at a certain point down the road, they'll want to shift things into a different avenue, but that's, everybody's got to decide for themselves. How proud would your 27 year old self be for where you're at right now? Oh, geez. Um, don't cry don't on me now. <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a t terribly tough, I'm not a very self-aware person, Connor. That's the thing for me. I've, I've struggled with self-awareness in terms of how I see myself. You know, I, I, I feel good. I've, I've made a, a, a career out of a passion. Um, I love what I do. I feel great. I still struggle every day with all of my demons that I struggled with before yeah. that hasn't, that hasn't gone away. But in terms of pride, I think that 27-year-old Ronnie would be, you know, really, really pleased with himself today. Um, not just because I've made changes in my own life, but I've effectively made changes in other people's lives. And I don't say that arbitrarily. I say that humbly and graciously and, and really, really um, gratefully because other people have let me know that I've contributed to them, whether it's learning to use a knife in the kitchen and develop their knife skills, whether it's learn to cook a recipe, whether it's take ownership and control of their own health through food decisions, or whether it's just you know being inspired by, inspired by my personal story, my personal health journey, uh, or any other avenue, that's what I, I think Ronnie would be most proud of because when I got into when I got into school when I decided I want to do a PhD in art history I wanted to teach and the reason I wanted to teach is because I fell in love with this feeling that like aha moment you know it's aha when a student is you know you teach something to a student uh, and they realize something that they didn't realize before that's incredibly addictive it's incredibly empowering and it's that's you know transcendental that feeling. Um, and when I figured, okay, I can, I know how to cook. I have a particular skill set. I'm self-taught. I didn't go to culinary school. So I feel as though I'm a little bit more relatable than a professional chef. Mm -hmm. And I explain things to people as if I weren't a professional chef, as if I was a home cook, which I am. And that impact was what, one of the things that drove the blog, the, the recipes. Um, in the beginning, I started cooking really crazy complicated, elaborate recipes as though I thought, 
oh, okay, this is how I have to put up paleo on a pedestal almost. What can I do with paleo? I could put it to this point where, um, it, you know, if I was running a Michelin-starred chef, how would I want to run it? And this, this crazy delusional idea entered my mind that those are the recipes people are going to cook. Nobody cooked them. Not a single yeah, person yeah. cooked those recipes. Even though they were paleo and delicious, they were too complicated. People that were trying to eat healthy had no time for this kind of stuff. Um, and my, I remember a friend of mine's wife kept saying, that looks great. I can't cook it. Can you make something easier? And I was just, it was like, oh, you're killing me. It's like, you know, it's like. Yeah, you know how much work I put into this? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, what, what, do you, what do you want from me? Like, this is, you know, the best of the best. And it was so foolish. The, the priority had to be to make the food accessible. If you're sharing a recipe, the idea is for someone to cook it. That's the, the, the goal. Um, somebody's got to cook the recipe. That's why you're sharing it. Um, if you're just sharing it for the sake of sharing, that's fantastic. That's part of the process. But in terms of growth and impact and, and effectiveness uh, and building your brand, don't forget that, you know, that's part of starting a blog and, and, and keeping the blog to a point where you can sustain yourself. Otherwise, you got to do something else. Right. Um, then you have to make things that are accessible. And so I, I had to edit. I edited a lot, edited myself, edited the way I, I cook and the way I eat. Uh, and the way I, I write recipes. And so that's became the, the determining factor of the recipe. And in the book, it's the same thing. All of the recipes in the book had to meet three criteria. It had to be paleo or Whole30. There are three recipes that aren't in the book because one of the requirements is that the book couldn't be exclusively paleo or Whole30 because it's a Whole30 endorsed book. And so there are some, some fine print things that go into that. Um, so it had to be paleo or whole 30 in terms of ingredient list. It had to be delicious. That was probably the, the really most important thing. I would f hand every plate to my wife and I would say, taste it. And she would taste it. And when she has a specific um, reaction when she likes something. And it's one of where she, she looks down at the plate, she'll take a, a mouthful, and then she'll look like, mmm, you know, that's one of those. Yeah, like that's, yeah. it's, she's a bad poker player. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, the her tell. Uh, and when I saw that, I said, okay, now you got to tell me, can you make this? Do you think you could cook this? And she would, she would be in the kitchen with me, obviously, because we were living in a condo that's, it was basically one room with a kitchen. And she would see everything and she's like, yeah, that, that looks so easy. I could do that. And like, it's going in the book. So those were the three determining criteria because the last thing I wanted was for a, a paleo and Whole30 cookbook where people are cooking more than ever in their life on a Whole30. That's the one like commonality with most people on a Whole30 is people are cooking more than they ever had, especially during a quarantine and during like a pandemic where eating out may not be an option for everyone. Um, and to make a Whole30 and Paleo cookbook that people weren't going to cook the recipes was just, I couldn't do that. That's yeah. why would people buy the book? It just makes no sense for me. So it's going back to that idea of how can you add value, what's going to be the greatest impact, and then how do you essentially execute that? Uh, so that's the real the goal with the book and with the blog, and that's always with the the step by steps that I do in my stories. It's always nobody does that anymore. Some people started doing it the way I did it with the step by step when stories rolled out. Um, 
and for anybody that's watching that isn't familiar with them, I do long-winded, like 30, 35 slide stories, and I take people from ingredient, raw ingredient, uh, to knife work, to, to technique, all the way to finished product uh, and finished recipe. Nobody does that anymore, right? They do a reel, like a, they do the 15-second reels. Yeah. Um, and I still do it because that's the best way to teach someone how to cook the recipe. A pretty picture is one thing, but if you don't know how to cook the recipe, what's the point? When I love that, you, like those three, there's three components. I think when I think of my career that I, I, I have it currently, I always thought one was I wanted to be able to feed my family, like have to, you know, got to make ends meet. That's, you know, so important. Um, Number two is I wanted to have fun doing it where, you know, not every day was work. There are some hard days in the NHL, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a blast every day. This podcast, if we want to call it work, has been a blast. You know, I wouldn't say it necessarily feeds the family, but, you know, someday maybe Joe Rogan's out there, you know, signing $100 million deals. So it's out there. And then the third one was the one that I was missing, I felt, in my hockey career. And I, I kind of did it cheaply or when convenient, um, was like contributing something to others. You know, like the odd time I would be at a kid's tournament, you know, my, the Chicago Fury, for example, is my youth team. And they were at a tournament in Toronto and the coach asked me to come by and talk to the kids. I was in those rooms. I know it meant a lot, you know, but I'm sitting on the other side of that doing it now. And I'm like, this was nice. And yes, I'm trying to facilitate their dream, but it's, it's, it's a little cheap. It was just convenient. I was just here. Um, and then I just decided, you know, with social media that, the positive so heavily outweighed the negative because I had a bunch of people, you know, that would comment on posts like, you know, what's the point of this or, or focus on hockey and that kind of thing. But the people that had something nice to say, the people that were really there to connect, like the people that had negativity kind of threw their stone and ran away. The people that, you know, were actually going to become, you know, like you and I, like real life friends uh, whose relationship I genuinely get something out of. Like I, I really enjoy when we, you know, message on Instagram or you're cooking something like you, you can ask Lexi, I look, Lex, you see what Ronnie's making? We got to make, the, <laughs> what are we doing tomorrow night? You know? And, and all of a sudden she's like, you know, thanks for my, you know, homework tomorrow. But that was where I really wanted to even care about, you know, the quote, you know, brand development was, was trying to give some insight to people that may want to know about my day-to-day -day life, my day-to-day ups and downs in the careers, what I'm trying to learn. Cause I knew as a young player, like I would have done anything. I used to scour YouTube and, and any, you know, video clips that I could find of my favorites, you know, training, eating, uh, what they wore, what cars they drove, anything. I want to know everything. Um, and we, we can do that now, you know, with social media, it's one of the, it can be scary, but if you use social media for what you want to put out in the world, I think it's a very powerful tool. Yeah. And I remember, when I remember when we went for dinner in Chicago, when we went to, to Publican, mm -hmm. I remember you kind of, we talked about this, you sort of, you, you know, you mentioned like, you know, I'm going to do a podcast. I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but I know that I want it to be, you know, I'm thinking about how I see myself and this sort of brand development um, and what I can contribute. And it's, I want it to be something that impacts people. And I remember, I remember waiting, like waiting patiently, waiting. I was like, when is he going to put it out? I'm like, I'm waiting. Yeah, I know waiting. you said it. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, you know, I quickly became a big fan of the podcast. I think it's, in, Thanks, in, and, and the big thing I think for me, and you know this, I'm not a hockey guy. Like I don't, no. I never really grew up watching hockey. My friends are, you know, insane hockey fans. They are crazy. 
for me, I just could never fall into it. I guess because I'm not good at playing it myself. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, this is- That's fair. I can't, I have no dreams of this. I'm kind of tall. Maybe I could get into N the NBA. This is my mentality. I'm six and a half. I'm like, maybe I have a shot. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 you're five inches away from being small in that league. <laughs> uh, I like, I, you know, I like different sports, but I don't think that's what put me on to, to the podcast. The, the, what I think is so instrumental and fundamental to you as a person is your genuine desire to be your best possible self. Right to really to improve yourself to a point where you never stop improving. That's like you know, that's the kind of improvement you're after. It's the point where it's it's never-ending improvement, um, and I think that's extremely difficult to. That's a difficult approach, even. So people that have that mentality, I resonate to that because I can learn from them. That's something I can I can latch onto and maybe maybe pick up some you know some wisdom. I have a friend who is really into self-development and I always say, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You know, I'm picking up what you're putting down because you're, you're, you're putting down some logic on me and this stuff, I, I need this stuff in, in my life because it's, it's going to better everything else I do. Uh, and then, you know, there's the, we relate on the food aspect side of it because we both, we love to eat, but we're also, we're after this feel good sensation where we're eating things that we, we enjoy, but we're not physically uncomfortable and, and debilitated afterwards. Um, and with you, I think the interesting you thing you touched on is the, is the, the social media side of things. And that sort of, there's always going to be someone out there who's going to throw a shot, you know, and chirp you. Um, and I can't imagine, I mean, I, I don't, I'm very fortunate in that I have a 99.9% .9 positive experience on social media. Um, you're, I, I can't imagine what kind of heat you're getting because you're a professional athlete. It's, it's completely different ball game. People take professional sports as religion. You know, some people take it so close. They, play, they wear it so close and t play it so close to their chest that they just, you know, it's, it's blasphemy for anything outside of their, their, you know, upbringing to think one thing or another or to follow one one team or another team and to, you know, I, I see it with my friends, you know, they, they're making, you know, coaching decisions, watching their, watching the games at home and be like, oh, he shouldn't have done that. He should have put, he should have put this guy on the line. You know, he should have changed him too. Why'd they pull the goalie? You know, it's all these like, yep. dude, you're, just enjoy the game. <laughs> but the, the real thing that I found interesting is I have a similar kind of trigger where if somebody is saying something negative to me, I latch onto it. And I, I don't know what the, the, the psychology of it or the mathematics of it, but some, a friend of mine, I was talking to the, about this with a friend of mine and they said something like, you need five times more positive reinforcement than negative reinforcement to, for it to become effective in uh, getting your, your attention, so to speak. So if you see one negative comment that's going to trigger you five, five times more than a positive one. I believe it. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm victim to this. Like when I see something negative, I, I stop in my choice. What? That's not what I, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to, that wasn't my intention. Like I, no, that's not, I have to fix this. I have to fix this. I have to make this right. 
I have to respond to this troll and I have to set them, you know, tell them that I'm not this person and that, no, this is in fact delicious, this recipe. You must try it this way. <laughs> it's like, all they said was, this recipe should use, you should have cheese on it. <laughs> it was like, that's what I'm getting worked up over. It's so incredibly ridiculous. And I, meanwhile, I have five other comments or 500 other comments saying, this was the best meal I've ever cooked. I, my boyfriend loved my picky eat, my picky child ate two servings. And I just, it's almost like, you know, you're scrolling through, you're like, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to put out that fire. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, negative. Threat one. I detection. Gotta, yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, I think, a, a dangerous trap to fall into, regardless of anything. Maybe people are, you know, justifiably right when they point something out. Take it on the chin. That's right. You know, you're right. Thank you. I, I didn't think of it that way. My wife is really good at telling me to pay attention to these kinds of things and, and react in a different way than I usually react. Um, and so that's, I think, a better course of action. Anyone in the public sphere. Because if you have anything that you're putting out on social media, right, you're putting it out there and it's free reign. It's, it's you know, it's... It's an open dialogue. So people are going to say what they have to say. They'll throw their shot. They'll run away. You'll never see them again. And these are the same people that say nothing on the street face-to-face -to, -face to you. They'll never say these words to you a million years on, you know, to your face. True. But you know, through the, the anonymity of internet, they'll, you know, they'll say whatever they want. That's okay, too. It's just that boosts the ratings. Just, you know, get, <laughs> yeah, boost, yeah, yeah, yeah. boosts the algorithm. It's like the NWA, right? Like they can do whatever they want with the CD. They bought it. That's right. All right. Well, Ronnie, this was, um, this was outstanding. I really appreciate, um, your time today, your humility. Uh, I appreciate what you do every day on, on your Instagram feed and, and for blessing my feed with what you got. I, uh, you're always, I try to watch all of them, even if I'm not cooking it just cause we're friends and I want your numbers to jack up. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate your time today, man. This was awesome. Thanks it's for coming. A pleasure. On. Thank you very much. I'm Thank so you, happy. Ronnie. So happy to be a part of it. Thank you so much. We gotta have dinner soon. Hopefully, uh, when we're traveling and, and our, the border between us is open, we'll uh, we'll see each other soon. God bless. Let's do all it. All right, man. Let's do it. To close things off, I want to thank all of our guests. Thank you for sticking with us today. Uh, Ronnie is so humble, uh, so passionate as a man. I always enjoy uh, learning for sure on his Instagram feed, but really in person, his authenticity really shines through, and I thought that did today. I wanted to highlight a couple key points and, and things that I took away from my talk with Ronnie today was one, that you are capable of change. We are capable of change when we decide so, and not a moment sooner. No one can do it for us. Uh, Ronnie talks about the evening of his 27th birthday and how pivotal that has been in his career and in his life, really mentally and physically. Um, and then second, one of the things I really thought was uh, so beautifully put by Ronnie was the importance of adding value. Everything that we want as individuals on the other side of helping others. And I feel that Ronnie's authenticity and his, his true desire to help everyday people cook more healthful, more delicious food comes through so clearly in his Instagram. He really walks his audience through step-by-step, step, day in, day out. He's so consistent with his content that, of course, his following was going to blow up. He's done so well uh, in, in the creation of his brand and, and his brand identity it really is him. It's not something he has to put on every day. Finally, I really appreciate when Ronnie highlighted the power of process. And I've been guilty of it in my own life and my own career. 
and being obsessed with the result. And that is, uh, if you live by the sword, you kind of die by the sword sort of thing, I find. But with Ronnie, when you're obsessed with the process, when you love the process, it's a fuel that you can use day in, day out, uh, year in, year out. It kind of is the anti-burnout uh, fuel uh, in my life when I'm able to operate you know, and see the world through that lens, through the, through the beauty of going through the process. So with those three in mind, I want to thank all of our listeners today for, for joining us. Please continue to like, subscribe, uh, comment, share. Uh, and please, please, please give yourself, uh, do yourself the favor of checking out uh, Ronnie's cookbook, the Primal Gourmet cookbook. And particularly, uh, if you want to see a little bit of, of a taste of him before you buy the cookbook, you can find him at Primal underscore Gourmet. Uh, he's an outstanding uh, home cook and, and he'll help you become one too. So thank you for joining us today uh, on our quest to become a more curious competitor. <laughs>